Support for The Bittersweet Life comes from our listeners. This week, I want to thank Andrea. Thanks for becoming a supporter on Patreon. Enjoy those extra episodes with our thanks. And Catherine, for your generous donation through our website, thebittersweetlife.net. Both of you, watch your mailboxes for a special handwritten thank you note from us. This program exists because listeners like you support it. If you have the means, there are links in the show notes. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. Tiffany is away this week, but I am joined by a very special guest, Cindy Burkhart. She's a photographer and a visual storyteller. And about 14 and a half months ago, she was living in New York City, but she was just about to leave. She sold everything, said goodbye to her friends, and set off on a big adventure with only two suitcases. Her goal was to visit 12 countries in 12 months. Hi, Cindy. Thanks for joining me. Hi, Katie. Thanks for having me. So before we get to where in the world you are right now, let's uh, back all the way up to the beginning uh, when you're deciding to leave New York. Do you remember when this plan started to come about? Oh, yeah. (laughs) I guess you could say for years and years, I had some vision of some version of this going, but it was more like a, a dream. I left home in June of 2019. And it started percolating in January of 2019. I went to the New York Times travel show at the Javits Center. And it's just like a huge convention space. And there are people from all over the world talking about their countries and different trips that they're having or their ambassadors and, you know, come visit and things like that. And I was just tooling around. I didn't have any travel plans in mind. I always want to travel and I always have traveled. But at that moment, I was like, well, let me just see what's what's happening out there. And at a minimum, I'll find out something new and get excited and talk to people and whatnot. And the very first day I saw this little tiny booth and they were talking about traveling 12 countries in 12 months. I'm like, what? That's crazy. It sounds amazing. And I spoke to this guy. The idea started percolating in my head and I went back the next day to ask him some more questions and he was gone. I was like, wow, I guess I just got lucky that one day he was here and I met him. But all these thoughts started going from my head. But more so, there was something in my gut that's like, I think I'm going to do that. <laughs> there was no reason why I would have any logical purpose for, for doing that at that moment. You know how sometimes you get like a gut reaction that's mm-hmm. kind of like an instinct, it's intuitive, and you're like, I think that's going to happen. <laughs> well, and, and you did it so fast. If that was in January and then you left by June. Yeah, I wanted to leave sooner. I was I was so ready to go and so ready for a change. That's why that happened. Mm-hmm. But as soon as I got it in my mind that I wanted to go and I wanted to make it happen, I like had this whole switch in my head. I started thinking about what that really meant to go away for a year. And I didn't really have anything that was tying me down. I I was renting an apartment, so I was going to get rid of that. I had things in my apartment. And I thought, you know what? I can only travel with two suitcases. I'm going to embarking on this life of simplistic living. Everything's going to be about the travel and meeting people and work experiences that I want to have. My stuff's going to be inconsequential. And I saw everything about this creating movement and moving as literally like getting rid of things in my apartment too that I didn't need or didn't need to hold me down either. And so I sold probably like 80% of my stuff and I used the money to help fund the trip. And I thought, after a year, am I really going to care about those things? 
And so I just had a few things left to put in a storage space. And that just kind of began the trip in my head before I ever went. This idea of like moving stuff out of my life, you know, that clear your clutter, clear your mind. Mm -hmm. Everything was about just make space for new things and greater things and experiences and people to come into my, my head and my heart. It was pretty cool. The whole experience of preparing. Yeah. Why were you so ready to do something different? Even though I lived in New York and I love New York and it's great, I was kind of feeling stuck and I'm not sure why that happened. Things were just kind of slow on the work front. A lot of things weren't connecting. I tried to pivot one or two times and it struck me that whatever I'm doing is not maybe what I'm supposed to be doing, you know, and maybe that's why things aren't going in a certain direction. And anytime that I've traveled in my life, I've met great people. I've had great connections. I really love the immersion into like different cultures and lifestyles. And one of the things I like about connecting with people is I'm fascinated with this idea of like what's different and what's the same about all of us everywhere. And I love seeing that in different cultures and what carries over different customs say or whatnot or types of foods. But then there's different food preparations and just seeing how people live. And I've always felt more alive when I'm out there moving and traveling and meeting people something about this opportunity kind of struck a chord with me at this time because I thought I'm feeling kind of stuck. And I know that being out in the world for me is anything but stuck. It's, it's absolute connection. I'm firing on every level. I feel alive. I like people. I'm happy. That makes sense to me to just go do that. A year was kind of, it took me a minute to get my head around that, but just a minute. Yeah. <laughs> 12 countries, 12 months. How did you decide which countries you wanted to go to and what order you wanted to go to them in? Actually, I didn't have a whole lot to do with that. The company that had set up the trip, set up an itinerary, they would help with the travel plans from each place. But then there was also like a workspace that they had as like part of the itinerary. So there would be a workspace. So they arranged all that. And I just kind of followed their lead. I mean, I could have left at different times. And the June program was these countries in this order. So I just said fine with it. Oh, so are you traveling with the same people to different countries? Yes. So even though I was on my own and doing my own thing, they set out this itinerary and whoever signed up to do it was part of the, the trip. So they were around and you could engage as much or as not as you wanted to. Yeah. So give me an example of a couple of the places you've been and what connections really struck you in each of those places. So it started out in South America. So I was there for four months, so four countries down in South America. Medellin, Colombia was super interesting. Colombia is a place I you know, would have never thought of necessarily going to, like right out of the gate. But I had a connection through a friend in New York, and so I contacted this person. She's like, sure, I would love to meet you. And I had such a nice relationship with her. We just met and I felt like I would be friends with her if I was living there. And when I was leaving after the month, I think she felt the same way. It was kind of sad to be leaving in a way because I really liked her, really connected with her. She was great. And she connected me with somebody also. So what I was doing, what I decided to do on this whole 12 countries, 12 months was create the work that I wanted to do. Since things weren't working out in the efforts that I had been trying up until that point, photography but I was also working in health and wellness. And I love that as well. It was always on my mind, like, how am I going to combine these two things I'm super passionate about? So when this travel opportunity came about, anytime I've ever traveled, I've always done photography and had projects. I connected with a camera, with people, with the landscape, with all, with all this. So I thought, I'm going to learn about health and wellness in different parts of the world since it's these 12 countries in 12 months. 
and I'm going to create these visual photo stories from what I find. That's the way that I'm going to combine these two things. And with the travel, it just like ticked off every box for me. Everywhere that I went, I was looking to meet people to fulfill this interest that I had. So this woman, Maria, says to me, I, I, well, I had said to her, I said, you know, I'd like to meet a corandera. I've heard that, you know, that's a very South American kind of a, a practice and whatnot. And she says, oh, well, you can meet my corandera. So a corandera is someone who I guess you would call maybe like a shaman, does similar kinds of healings. It's very intuitive based. It's very individual. It's based on practices that aren't so common in the United States, you know, using a lot of herbs or, or talking with people and, and finding out what, what's really going on with them. That was a, an amazing opportunity. She said, I'll contact my corandera Alpita and see if she'd be interested in meeting you. She doesn't speak any English, but I'd be happy if you're okay with me being there. I'd be happy to translate for you. And I'm like, this can't get any better. This is amazing. And so I ended up spending an afternoon with this woman, Albita, and my, my new friend, Maria. And she told me about her life, and it was an amazing story. And when we finished the conversation, she said, okay, now it's time for your reading. And I was like, what? So even though I wasn't going to her with a problem, she was going to kind of show me, if you will, like how she works with a client. And so when she first meets someone, the kind of questions she would ask them and how she would start to try and dissect what's going on here and work with someone. So we went through that and she pulled out a suitcase and she had like tons of colored pencils she threw down and she had a clipboard that was like two inches thick with paper. And she asked me some questions and she was really looking at me hard. So we shifted gears at this point from an interview kind of a scenario to her, like my um, healer. What kind of questions was she uh, asking you? Her very first question was, what's your, what are your favorite colors? And I told her, and she picked out those pencils and put them on the side. And I asked why that was relevant to what she was drawing. And Maria said that she said, <laughs> because she wanted to pick up on my vibration and my energy. And since I connected with those colors, she would start right there. So right off the bat, I thought that was a really interesting way for her to connect with me. Gosh, I can't remember the other questions, but she didn't really ask me too much after that. She really spent her time looking at me and she would take her so she had this clipboard of paper right in front of her and she would take her hand and hold her hand a couple of inches over the paper something's processing in her mind and she would look at me and it's almost as if she was like feeling or reading the paper and intuiting something and then she would start drawing and then she would look at me and then she'd look off somewhere else as if things were coming in to her headspace and she would draw and then when she would finish drawing, she'd take it out of the clipboard and she would explain what she saw. So there really wasn't a lot of talking, but we were around a table, so I wasn't that far from her. And somehow I could feel her energy and I was watching her. It was a really interesting exchange like that. And she did, I don't know, probably six drawings. And then there was one drawing where she started to draw and I could see her hand over the paper shaking a little bit. And her whole demeanor changed, and she had like a concerned look on her face. And she said, what colors do you see? And in the space between her hand and the paper, I could see an outline, like a shadow of her hand, and there were colors in the shadow. And I said, I see like purple and silverish gray. And she's like, okay. And then she took the paper and turned it upside down and put it away. And then she picked up different pencils and started to draw all over again. Well, what happened with that other drawing, the one she put away? And she said, I just saw something really beautiful, and I've never exactly seen something like that before. And she was surprised by it, and 
kind of excited by it and just didn't know how to react. So it took her a minute to process this. I'm like, well, what did you see? And she said, I, I just see that you are on the path that you were supposed to be on and you are doing what you should be doing. And you have this real connection with your soul and it's really beautiful and just keep going. That's amazing. I never expected anything like that. And she said, do you have any questions for me? And I said, well, yeah, after, after that kind of an answer, I'm like, well, what do you see me like doing from here? Like, how do you see me like going forward? And she said, you have all the answers within you. <laughs> I just kind of laughed out loud because it was such, such an emotional in, in kind of an intense moment. That's priceless. That's perfect. I just want to take a quick aside from this conversation to remind you that a week from today, on November 16th, it's a Monday, I will be appearing online in a live event with Jim Demain. Dr. Jim Demain practiced pulmonary and critical care medicine in the Seattle area for more than three decades. And he's the author of a new book called Facing Death, Finding Dignity, Hope, and Healing at the End. We'll be appearing together at a live town hall event in Seattle, but of course it's online, so it's everywhere. It's at 7.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, which could be a little complex for some of you overseas, but I hope that if you can make it, that you will. There are links to finding tickets to that show in the show notes. In this time of COVID, I think we've all given a lot of thought about what we want to do when we are more free to move about. And we've also spent a lot of time thinking about death, ours and of the people that we love, and how quickly a previously unknown disease can change everything. This book will help you think through the questions and issues that all of us mere mortals must face and consider if we want to have a good death when that time comes. You can order it online or from your favorite independent bookstore. And if you can, please join us next Monday for our live event. There are links in the show notes. Now, back to the conversation at hand. After you leave South America, where do you go? I went to Asia. I was in Asia for four months. Which countries? Um, I was in Vietnam, Thailand, Kyoto, Japan. I jumped over into Korea briefly, and then I ended up in Malaysia. And which one of those places really resonated with you? I had great experiences in all of them, but I'm going to say Japan, because to me, that was just so special to go there. That was I hate to say bucket list because that makes it sound so cheap and cheesy, <laughs> but that was a special, you know what I mean? Like when people say my bucket list and they want to go to countries, I feel like you're ticking it off mm -hmm. a checklist. And I, I didn't feel like it that way. It just felt so special. Like that would be an amazing country to go to. And the fact that I actually went into Kyoto of all places, which to me is like the cultural capital mm -hmm. of the country. I love that. Yeah. It's interesting because you're traveling, but you're not just a traveler, you're actively seeking out interviews or in, in experiences. Do you find that that kind of framing of this whole experience somehow grounds the trip more? Are there people in your group who are just lounging around in every place you go? I mean, what's the difference, do you think? I was definitely different than anybody else on the trip. There were quite a few people that had jobs. So for them, they were traveling and working. And depending on what time zone they were in, they were maybe working all night, you know, in Asia, they had to keep up with the US. So they were experiencing the trip very differently than I was because they were straddled to a desk and a computer. 
there were a handful of people who were in between work, so they did have a little more time and flexibility to do different things. But clearly nobody else was doing anything in the same capacity that I was. I had a couple conversations with people where they're like, you had a completely different trip than me in this country or in this place or things like that. Or we'd go somewhere. And because I was interested in photographing things, I see in stories anyway. So even just on an outing for a day, I'd have very different photographs than other people would because I would see things differently. People were, you know, of course, taking a lot of pictures for the gram and things like that. And I have some of those as well, but that wasn't my agenda. So it's interesting. You set off in January, oh, sorry, June of 2019. And obviously, we all now know that there's this fate that's hanging over your trip that you are not going to get through all 12 countries because the coronavirus will start spreading across the world. What were the trip organizers telling you guys as this begins? That's an excellent question. <laughs> so I had been in Asia and that's where it started. And so there was some talk about there's some sickness going around. It really wasn't a lot more than that at that time, like in December, January. But in a short period of time, I was traveling with a mask on because people were talking about being safe and not really knowing what this was. And so the trip organizers were saying, we are actively monitoring the situation. We are in contact on a daily basis with ISOS, making sure that all the countries that we are planning for you to go to are still safe, are still accessible. If there's anything that we hear or that you need to know, we'll let you know immediately. So they started telling us that, you know, kind of early on. And then March 1st, I arrived over here. So this was March 1st, I arrived here in Croatia, and this was meant to be the four-month European leg of the trip. Yeah, so Croatia and where else were you supposed to go? To Portugal and Spain, and then actually off to South Africa. And I really wanted to go to those places. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then in March, the messages started coming a little more frequently. And then at some point, there was, you know, message from the CDC about what was really happening and the U.S. put out their travel warnings and whatnot. And then the U.S. put out, it was either, I don't remember at this moment, if it was the level three or the level four travel ban, it said, U.S. citizens prepare to come home now or else stay where you're at for an indefinite period of time. And so the travel company was coming out with more messages at this point, and they were trying to come up with workarounds before anybody really understood just where this was going to go. This was still early March. So they had some different scenarios they presented to us. And then ultimately, by the end of the week on that Friday, they basically canceled the whole trip. We're done. And you should go home? Is that what they were telling you? No, they did not. They just said, we're done. You make up your mind what's next for you kind of thing. Mm. And I think everybody was stunned because you just didn't see it coming. Mm -hmm. You already had something else in your mind, even though you can see that things are closing down and there's lockdowns and restrictions and things like that. It just takes a minute to, to switch gears. But then the fact that the travel company is like, okay, we're out. And they had the, you know, the recall, their program leaders to go home. You know, you have to go home in X amount of time and for us to cover your travel and things like that. And everybody else, good luck kind of a thing. They were done. Hmm. So tell us where you're, you are now. Well, I decided to stay in Croatia. So when that U.S. travel warning came out about, you know, come home now, or stay where you are for an indefinite period of time, I literally laughed out loud. I'm like, that doesn't mean I can't go home ever. It just means I don't know when. And I, again, I had this gut feeling. I thought about it practically, and I thought about for me to get home to the United States, it would have been three airplanes, four airports, 
quarantining. Then I left my apartment, so I didn't have a place to stay. So it would have been an, another series of travel to get to my mom's place, figure out all of that. And Croatia was really quick to lock down. They seemed pretty safe and people were following the restrictions and whatnot. And again, a little voice said, you should stay. I heard that little voice and I said, okay, I'm going to stay. I was thrilled by it. I felt oddly free by it, even though I'd just been away for nine months. And like I said, I freed myself of all of my things and whatnot. So it was super exciting. And I thought, okay, we're just going to ride this out and see what happens. And I had a three-month visa here, and that ran out. So that ran out at the end of May. And, you know, I was thinking, what am I going to do when this runs out? And the government had said, we will um, – I love this government language. It just made me laugh. The government put out a policy saying that if you're in this situation and your visa expires, et cetera, um, we will tolerate overstayers. And, again, <laughs> I just laughed at that. I'm like, I'm an overstayer, and you will tolerate me. But I didn't know what that would mean long term. When the pandemic's over, we'll let you know, and then you will have 30 days to leave. And again, that's an open conversation. Nobody knows when the pandemic's going to be over. And do you mean here for you in Croatia or me in my country? But it was very kind of unsettling to think that I don't really know where my home is at this moment because I can't travel now and I have to stay. And they're saying, we'll let you know. Is today going to be the day when I wake up and you're like, you know what? We think the pandemic is over. You have to go. And thinking about next steps, somebody who lives here just said to me, well, are you going to apply for Croatian residency? And I said, Mm -hmm. yes, I am. (laughs) Again, I'm like, wow, I just said that so easily. Okay, I'll do that. This is amazing. This is like a bigger adventure than I had planned, but let's just go with it and let's just see what happens. So I applied for residency. And on September 11th, I was approved. Mm. I'll be here for at least a year. What did you have to do for a residency? Is it a temporary residency? Yes, it's called a temporary one-year residency. And they have a whole bunch of paperwork that you have to fill out and documents that you have to provide. And you have to go to the police station and you have to talk to them and you have to send all your papers in and whatnot. And then basically you you wait. And then they, they call you to come back in and you have some application fees that you have to pay. You have to get fingerprinted. And you have to get an apartment set up for a year. So I had to talk to my landlords about that. You get your documents notarized or the landlords come in person with you and answer some questions on their own. And then you wait again and go back and pick up an ID card. It's pretty straightforward. It's just it's just a matter of time for it to go through the system. And it took probably a couple of months from the time I had to fill it out until I actually got approved. But they tell you during that time, like, you're safe to stay here, you're Paperwork is in progress. So I breathed a little bit easier just knowing like, okay, I can settle in. So you were planning on being gone a year, but now at this point, you're going to be gone far longer than you ever expected. Are you glad that if you were going to grind to a halt in your original adventure that you ended up in split Croatia? It's funny you should ask that because I think of all the places I have been, any one of them I would have made work out if that's what was required. But I am so glad that I was here because the country did react pretty quickly. And where I'm at in Split, I'm by the water and I grew up by the water. So a lot of this really resonates with me in terms of the sun, the water, the air. Just I love it. And where I'm at, it's probably a 10 minute walk down to the water. And it's a lot of steps here. So it's a nice, good warm up kind of exercise for me. And there's a pretty decent expat community here. So I've been able to connect with a lot of people. And in the expat community, it's not just expats from other places. 
It's people who have Croatian roots who maybe grew up from other places or have a Croatian partner. So it's people who do have a mix of Croatian heritage as well as people who literally are from other countries, the breadth of the group here, and they're pretty proactive. So I feel like I'm part of a community as well. And I didn't explore that as much in other countries. So I can't fairly say that I wouldn't have found that. But this is a place that any different, any given time, you could meet someone different. A really good spot. Now that you can't travel the world doing photography stories, are you still finding ways to tell stories in your day-to-day life? Or how are you spending your time now that things are a little more locked down? Well, it's interesting. Before I left, when I thought of how this might go in terms of the work that I was doing, that all flew out the window because obviously with COVID and to your point of things grinding to a halt, things are going to open up and change differently too. I mean, there's no going back. It's all going to be different. And I thought, well, now that I am here, I do need to figure out what my work life is going to be because I had planned to be away for a year and then obviously get back to work. And now that I've passed that mark, I need to figure out how to work. So it's how to work here in a foreign country, but then also looking at what opportunities have come my way. So because I see things in stories, I see things all the time and I'm photographing most days, which just makes me super happy. So I've got a lot of potential stories under my belt to just get out there and write. And in the meantime, I've partnered with one of the news outlets here and I've started writing for them. So I have a, I have a column now with a news outlet called Total Croatia News. And my column is Croatia through the eyes of a digital nomad. It's not necessarily that health and wellness beat that I assign to myself, but I'm getting this real immersion in like the culture and the lifestyle here. So opportunities like that will come up and I'll just run with it and see what happens. I've got a lot more questions than I do answers, but I'm kind of okay with it because I feel like I'm on a much better place and a path I couldn't have even dreamed of. So I'm okay to kind of roll with it. Do you feel like you're a lot different than you were when you left New York? A hundred percent. That's an interesting question because I feel like I'm in a different place and I feel like my energy is different but I don't feel like I'm a different person. I feel like I got back to me. Mm -hmm. For sure, some things evolved, but I feel like I got back to me and back to a person that I recognize and I like, and I want to move forward as this person who feels like I'm really enjoying my life. And as things come my way, I can pick them up and run with them. Where I always thought I was that way, but the fact that I got into a place where I was stuck, obviously there was a hiccup somewhere in there that I really wasn't aware of and not really sure what happened, but things have just kind of ironed themselves out. Uh, Cindy Burkhart is a photographer and a visual storyteller on a great new adventure. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on the show. It was fun to talk to you. Thanks, Katie. It was fun to talk to you too. It makes me want to go out there and get stranded. Come see me or we'll keep in touch and I'll tell you what I'm doing six months from now. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) That's a good plan. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you, too. And until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. If you love this show, you have the ability to keep it going. There are three things that you can do right now. First, tell a friend about it. Send a text to someone today. Or make a social media post and tag us. Second, write a review on Apple Podcasts. If you need help doing it, just ask us. Third, Vote with your dollars. You pay to visit a museum. You pay to rent a movie online. If you get some enjoyment from this show, become a patron at patreon.com slash thebittersweetlifepodcast or donate at our website, thebittersweetlife.net. Thank you for taking action. Talk to you next week. Bye.